Welcome to the Flannery Podcast. This is episode 45. The issue? Trump never had it in him to make the nation great. He was a poor, dull instrument to accomplish anything grand. Stay tuned. We have been through about five years in America like no time in our young nation's history, starting with the presidential campaign of Donald Trump in 2016 and continuing to this day early in 2021 after the public has resoundingly denied Trump's bid for re-election. No past crisis in our history involved the interference of another nation, Russia, in our domestic politics, in our presidential election, in favor of the presidential candidate in the Republican primaries, and the general election with the willing participation of that candidate named Trump. The beneficiary of this corrupt bargain was and remains Trump. The details of the bargain has been inferred, but no one knows for sure exactly what Trump got out of this and what Putin and Russia got out of this. Trump allowed Russia, an antagonistic nation-state, long at odds with our security and national interests, with NATO and with our democratic institutions, to hack our computers and intelligence sources and spread disinformation, all to favor that Manchurian candidate, Trump. No past crisis or president, however flawed, has shared Trump's governing choice, his dangerous arc against democracy and toward monarchy. Trump from the start favored a brutal resistance to individual rights and liberties, was too familiar with white supremacists and easily inclined toward violence, even against peaceful protest in front of the White House. Trump will be remembered for his age of isolation, disillusionment, xenophobia, sexism, corruption, lying, disinformation, and militarism. Trump's lack of character and easy authoritarian impulse assured us that he would upend the regular order, as he did, abandon civilized demeanor, as his brusque nature showed us, disregard the law, our Constitution, usurp the Congress and the courts. Trump's cabinet officers, the worst and the dullest instead of the best and the brightest, who else could sign up for this administration, have served as Trump's Confederates, malleable tools suited to Trump's corrupt purposes in his various unlawful schemes, most obviously in his impeachment proceedings. Trump's inclination from the outset was to withdraw, give up, get out, surrender our nation's role in the world order from our commitments and trade, treaties, and military compacts. Was that the deal that Russia wanted? Trump withdrew from our responsibilities at home, a major step back, if not a runaway from the idealism of past administrations, like the Obama administration, which he worked so hard to replace and supplant and to obliterate from the American scheme. And it was replaced by drift, irrationalism, and irresponsibility, less anything that Trump might do for Main Street that would compromise the bottom line of Wall Street. America has suffered a time of failure, when the nation's responsibilities were evaded, when opportunities were missed. You know what I mean. 
The best example, I suppose, is what we're living through right now. Trump lying to the nation about the danger of a coronavirus, that it, its infection was terrible and death could often happen, particularly if you had com comorbidities. And then doing little about it, causing literally deaths. He lied, people died. And this is but one example of the catastrophic results that comes from the leadership, so-called, of Mr. Trump. As for the wealth of our nation, there's been no effort to balance the increased productivity of our working men and women that has profited business. No effort to share that income that the businesses gained by increasing the salaries and wages for those who made productivity possible. No. Jefferson spoke of how we have a duty and obligation to pass on the fruit of the land we enjoy, undiminished to the next generation. Usufructus, it's called. We have the use of it, and then we pass it on because we've preserved and protected, though we've used it. But that's not in Trump's administration. He's no Teddy Roosevelt when it comes to conservation. You know, we withdrew from the Treaty on Climate Change. It's another one of his hoaxes, like facts are hoaxes, the environment's a hoax. Anything that he would manipulate to get what he wants is, a ho is otherwise a hoax. Our Secretary of Education, his choice, would suffer the vapors if she helped public schools. She considers them a, a form of socialism rather than a path for students to lift themselves up to greater opportunities to better a family, to better an individual, to give them something to live for their whole life long. We are faced with a pandemic and we've made no improvements in medical care for more citizens. Indeed, Trump promises more coverage, has promised more ever since he was a candidate, but he truly prefers, by his inaction, less care. And he even appointed a Supreme Court justice he hoped would zero out the Affordable Care Act that would affect adversely millions of people. The first days after Trump's election, senior Senator uh, Minority Leader Chuck Schumer proposed they join together to make internal improvements, repair our crumbling infrastructure. Not a, nothing happened. Hear the crickets. There was a famous architect years ago, Daniel Burnham. He put together the plan of Chicago and downtown Washington, D.C. He planned Union Station. If you have a fascination for that triangular flatiron building in lower Manhattan, that's one of his projects, too. It may not surprise you that Burnham once said, make no little plans. In other words, do big things. America once thought that way, and because it did, it accomplished big things. In the last five years or so, America has made no plans, not big or small. We have a demolition team in the West Wing, tearing down what was great about America. So... What should we do about that? Well, we're getting rid of the demolition team. America needs a public plan going forward. The restoration of the republic, encompassing the issues I've mentioned that have suffered. And about peace, world order, social justice, the things that really matter. I believe Biden has this. Trump didn't. And it's why Biden will be sworn in on January the 20th. and pledge to all of my voters and supporters and to all of the people of the United States that I will totally accept the results 
of this great and historic presidential election if I win. Keep in mind that Trump says he won, repeats it over and over again. He says this despite the more than 50 cases that went against him that said, no, you didn't win. Despite the recounts in the many states that said, no, you didn't win, Biden did. Despite the Electoral College, after the state certified the election, saying, no, you didn't win. And here we are, just days away from when the Senate will actually count the electors and decide formally and finally that Biden is the president-elect. And we'll talk about that in a minute because some Republicans are prepared to lie, to be seditious, to be traitors to their oath to the nation, to undermine our democracy by challenging, with no good basis to do so, these electors. They're going to lose, it's not gonna change anything, but they're gonna do it anyhow, in part for personal ambition, in part because they're afraid, afraid of Trump. How he might challenge them in a primary or some other way. Is that the kind of people that we wanna elect in the first place? Cowards? People who betray America, betray their oath? Are these the kinds of people we want sitting in our Senate and our Congress? How can we trust them? It's like we open the door to the foul possibilities when Trump became our president and we're reaping the whirlwind. And when I say we, you and I didn't vote for him, but there are many who did, too many who did, too many who do not care about our nation, too many who would rather hate and believe lies and conspiracy theories. I don't see how we ever join forces with them, but there are others and outnumbering those who would compromise this nation is at least for the years ahead of us right now, the only way it's gonna happen. We know that uh, Trump keeps saying he won, not because he believes it, because he hopes to manipulate the foolish into supporting what he says, to manipulate those who defer to him out of fear. We have this amazing problem, which only dictatorships have to deal with, because Trump was taking us into that space. Trump told us in his first thinking what he would do if he lost. He wouldn't let it happen. Now, the Obama administration preceded Trump's election, and a greater contrast in style and content perhaps couldn't be found in American history. We went from an age of openness, of change, of improvements. There were dreams and there were hopes to this, to this sad state of affairs with Trump. In a recent interview, Obama made a few comments on the differences between his administration and Trump's. I think we were in a circumstance in this election in which certain norms, certain institutional values that are so extraordinarily important had been breached that it was important for me as somebody who had served in that office to simply let people know this is not normal. So now here we are. The new year has arrived. 
We're in the final days of Trump's desperate effort to fool the nation into declaring him the winner of the presidential election he so soundly lost. He has to know in that small brain of his that it's not going to happen. But he is desperate. I'm sure he hypnotizes himself like some actors do to play a part. But this is reality. This is not reality TV. This is the real thing. In that head of his, the one that he shields with his uh, golden mane, he's unable to cope with the embarrassment, the loss of power, of opportunity, the exposure, the anticipation of the exposure to civil and criminal consequences, and so many fears that have him wondering and wandering the empty halls of the White House because he knows not where he is or where he's going. So he inhabits the White House that he is so thoroughly sullied. In the days ahead, as I suggested, there are two events that Trump hopes can be manipulated to save him from what is truly inevitable. But Biden will be the person taking the oath of office on January 20th, 2021. The two events that Trump would manipulate are one, the Georgia election, and there's been some significant news today about that, I'm, I'm giving this podcast on Sunday in the evening. And the second is the ministerial function of the whole Congress convened for Vice President Pence to report out the Electoral College vote, confirming once again that Biden is the president-elect. Trump has hopes of distorting what's going on in Georgia and the Senate. He started work on Georgia on Saturday, yesterday. But before he did his most immediate damage to himself and his efforts to at least have some dignity, if that's possible, for him leaving office. Trump had been badgering the Georgia Secretary of State and Governor, both Republicans, uh, wanting them to correct and recalculate the votes in the November election to reflect that Trump won when he didn't, just because he insists he did win. Though he can present no evidence actually demonstrating this fact, but he can produce a court record showing that he's lost efforts to accomplish just this fact. Then you have to get out, you have to vote, you have to make sure you have every vote counted, every vote has to count. You gotta make sure they don't throw away any ballots. You gotta make sure that when they collect the ballots and they start bragging about how many ballots they already have, you gotta make sure your Secretary of State knows what the hell he's doing. And you got to make sure your governor gets a lot tougher than he's been. He's got to get a lot tougher. Now, you may remember that Georgia became kind of a special case that uh, Senator Lindsey Graham pestered the Georgia Secretary of State as well. And everybody wondered, you know, when, when Graham did this, uh, there were serious questions. Was that lawful? Wasn't that wrong? Well, yesterday, Trump put aside any of his minions to do his dirty work for him, and he called the Secretary of State himself, <laughs> and he had several people on the line, to get the results changed, to give him one vote more than the margin by which Biden beat him in the presidential election. And here's the rub. The conversation was recorded. Hmm. You know, this guy is, <laughs> this guy is a keystone cop. He just can't get anything right. And so there's an hour recording and a long transcript. And I thought it would be worthwhile to listen to the shortened version, which was the first version that came out, because I do think it catches several things that give you the meat of that conversation. And then let's discuss what the facts mean as applied to state and federal law. And I mean criminal law. Listen. 
we have won this election in Georgia based on all of this. And there's, there's nothing wrong with, with saying that, Brad. You know, I mean, having, the, having a correct, you, the people of Georgia are angry. And these numbers are going to be repeated on Monday night, along with others that we're going to have by that time, which are much more substantial even. And the people of Georgia are angry. The people of the country are angry. And there's nothing wrong with saying that, you know, uh, that you've recalculated. Well, Mr. President, the challenge that you have is the data you have is wrong. Now, do you think it's possible that they uh, shredded ballots in uh, Fulton County? Because that's what the rumor is. And also that Dominion took out machines. Uh, that Dominion is really moving fast to get rid of their uh, machinery. Do you know anything about that? Because that's illegal. No, Ryan, Germany. No, Dominion has not um, moved any machinery out of Fulton County. We're having. Well, but no, but, but have they moved? Have they have they moved the inner parts of the machines and replaced them with other parts? No. Are you sure, Ryan? I'm sure. You should want to have an accurate election, and you're a Republican. We believe that we do have an accurate election. No, I no, you don't. No, no, you don't. You don't have. You don't have. Not even close. You got. You're up by hundreds of thousands of votes. You know what they did, and you're not reporting it. That's a. You know, that's a criminal. That's a criminal offense. And and you know you can't let that happen. That's that's a big risk to you and to Ryan, your lawyer. That's a big risk. But they are shredding ballots, in my opinion, based on what I've heard. And they are removing machinery, uh, and they're moving it as fast as they can, both of which are criminal fines, and you can't let it happen, and you are letting it happen. You know, I mean, I'm notifying you that you're letting it happen. So, look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have, because we won the state. So, so tell me, Brad, what are we going to do? We won the election, and it's not fair to take it away from us like this. And it's going to be very costly in many ways. And I think you have to say that you're going to reexamine it, and you can reexamine it, but, but reexamine it with people that want to find answers, not people that don't want to find answers. Uh, for instance, I'm hearing Ryan, and he's probably... I'm sure a great lawyer and everything, but he's making statements about those ballots that he doesn't know. But he's making them with such, he, he did make them with surety, but now I think he's less sure because the answer is they all went to Biden. And that alone wins us the election by a lot. You know, so. Mr. President, uh, you have people that submit information and we have our people that submit information and then it comes before the court, and the court then has to make a determination. We have to stand by our numbers. We believe our numbers are right. Well, under law, you're not allowed to give faulty election results, okay? You're not allowed to do that, and that's what you've done. This is a faulty election result. And honestly, this should go very fast. You should meet tomorrow, because you have a big election, election coming up, 
And because of what you've done to the president, you know, the people of, of uh, Georgia know that this was a scam. And because of what you've done to the president, a lot of people aren't going out to vote. And a lot of Republicans are going to vote negative because they hate what you did to the president. Okay? They hate it. And they're going to vote. And if you would be respected, if really respected, if this thing could be straightened out before the election. You have a big election coming up on Tuesday. Now, isn't that something? And you may have heard it already before, but let's, let's uh, do a little diagnosis on it. The Georgia Code, Section 21-2-604, makes cr criminal solicitation to commit election fraud a crime. And one commits the crime with intent that another person engage in conduct constituting a felony under this article. He or she solicits, requests, commands, importunes, or otherwise attempts to cause the other person to engage in such conduct. If it's a first-degree offense, it's a felony with exposure up to three years. Now, isn't that exactly what Trump did in the phone call from the excerpts you just heard? The fraud is to misrepresent the vote returns for Georgia, originally reported, now changed, to say that Trump gets exactly the votes to match Biden's margin, margin plus one vote. In other words, <clears throat> he's asking to win Georgia by a single vote. Why can't you do that for me? Do me that favor. Even in this uh, brief excerpt, <clears throat> you can hear the bullying tone that is Trump. And for those of us who've heard organized crime people are thugs, and, and you know, you hear it on TV and stuff too, doesn't that sound like him? It's very interesting. He's not before the crowd, how he kind of leans in a couple of times, how he, he kind of begs other times. That's if you listen to the whole hour. And you can just glance through the transcript. Um, so he, what if he's threatening, as it suggests, that at the Monday rally tomorrow, having not had success over the weekend after his Saturday conversation with the Secretary of State of Georgia, that, uh, and that's the day after the podcast I'm now making, so I'm talking to you Sunday, so it's going to happen Monday. He's going to go after them again at one of his Hitler-like rallies. He's going to go after the Secretary and the Governor. And he makes vague threats about what he may say that may hold the Secretary of State responsible for the Republican incumbents, the Senators, if they should lose in the special election on Tuesday. So you see how this all gets jammed up again. I just want you to do a little favor. But, you know, uh, and then, uh, you know, maybe I can be helpful in the election. Maybe I can be helpful if you run again. So Trump wants another favor, but this is a big favor for him. This isn't asking uh, Ukraine to do an investigation of Biden's son so that maybe he can use that information to hurt Biden in the general election that, ha-ha, he just lost. So Trump is doing what the senators, we have always believed, fear he would do to them. He would put up a candidate in a, in a primary to challenge them so they would lose uh, <laughs> their phony baloney jobs uh, to, to steal a line from Blazing Saddles. Trump makes it crystal clear that they are Republican. Uh, that is, when he's talking to the Secretary of State. You're a Republican. How could you do this, he implies. He, re he resents helping the governor to win in his difficult race the last go-around. What is he saying there? 
I could use my political power to see that you guys don't get elected again, if that's what you want. I can do what I need to to compromise the rest of your political life. Did he say those things? You decide. Listen to the tape that you just heard uh, again. Uh, listen to the whole thing. Uh, people keep saying, how could you charge him with this or that offense? Well, you know, the public, he does this stuff in plain view. And I'm assuming the Secretary of State made the tape uh, available to the Washington Post, and then it's found its way <laughs> everywhere. Um, it'll be interesting when they go up to uh, Republicans and say, so, what did you think of the tape? And they say, oh, I, I haven't had a chance to, to hear it. I, I haven't read the article. I've been so busy up here avoiding the virus. I, I, don't, I don't know what that says. Well, let me tell you what it says. No, no, no. I, I don't know if you're telling me the truth because, you know, fake news. So uh, <clears throat> Trump makes it clear that the Republicans are politically at risk. And he also threatens them. He talks about how, you know, what they're saying, you know, what you're saying could violate the law. You know, you got to be careful of that. Now, let's take a look at the U.S. Code. There's Title 52, United States Code, Section 20511. You may be familiar with how this works. 52 is like the 52nd volume before everything was digitalized. And the Section 20511 is the section within that, that volume. And it provides that a person who in any election for federal office, like, say, president, knowingly and willfully, means you've got to know what you're doing, deprives, defrauds, or attempts to deprive or defraud the residents of a state of a fair and impartially conducted election process. You see where I'm going here, right? By A, the procurement or submission of voter registration applications that are known by the person to be materially false, fictitious, or fraudulent under the laws of the state in which the election is held, or the procurement, casting, or tabulation of ballots that are known by the person to be materially false, fictitious, or fraudulent under the laws of the state in which the election is held. So if I, Trump, say to you, why don't you get me the margin of victory of Biden and add one vote to it, just give me that and I'll, I won't bother you again and I will be your best friend in your next election. Well, I think that's, that's a subsection B in that provision. And, uh, of course, the result is uh, the president, I believe he could be indicted now, but, um, you know, a couple of days from now, uh, when he's not president, those people who have the view that you can't indict a sitting president, well, they could investigate. They could investigate him now, and they could indict him later. Uh, he could be fined or imprisoned not more than five years or both. Whether there are several counts, that's another question. But So isn't what Trump asked to deprive, defraud the residents of Georgia from the fair and impartial election that is their due? I think so. Now, the nice question you have to answer for yourself, and hopefully some prosecutor will soon, is to sum it up. The question is whether it's a crime if Trump wanted the Georgia Secretary of State to give him a vote, unjustified by facts or law or any other reason, and that vote he would have to recalculate was false, fictitious, or fraudulent. <laughs> Stumble over the words myself. And, um, you know, you may remember that passage where uh, Trump says, well, you get some people that, you know, they don't have a, a point of view on it. Well, he's not asking for somebody that's impartial because he's asking him to give him a designated vote. And they went through 
in the hour-long discussion. They went through all the possible arguments of the, well, fraudulent, fictitious ways that votes might be shifted back and forth. And Trump was sort of, how could I possibly lose Georgia? I won Georgia. You know, so he presumes the fact that need to be proved and goes on from the fact that he won Georgia without evidence of it and then demands, just give me Georgia. You know, just give me the margin plus one vote. That's all I want. And when, when I say this, it becomes more precise when Trump asks specifically for a grant of exactly 11,780 votes. So the margin of uh, victory of Bryden was 11,779. One vote difference. One more vote than the margin by which Biden beat Trump in Georgia, uh, accompanied by a not-so-thinly-veiled threat to the Secretary of State, perhaps a prosecution, because he says, you know, uh, you're a lawyer, maybe you're violating the law, or some complex of political reprisals. I've heard some say, uh, but did he know, Trump know, that this was a crime? Stop the music. Trump himself reminded the Secretary of State and his lawyer they might be violating the law, showing that Trump knew the law, plain and simple, and knew or had to know what he was doing. And this is the thing, you know, they always say, did he understand what he was doing? You know, like he's this bumbling clown, and he is that in part, but he's, he's a, a mischievous, mendacious, evil, criminal clown. And he does terrible things. And if after all this time, this five-year period, people are still saying, you know, do you think he understood what he was doing? How can you even tolerate such commentators? You got to turn it off. You can't listen to it. Okay, so now I think that's a pretty fair roundup of that. Uh, what's going to happen? I don't know. Uh, there, here's a, a kind of a, a list of things I think should happen. I think uh, he should be censured right away. I think he should be impeached. And let me explain. Yes, he's leaving office in several days. But there are two remedies under the impeachment provisions of the Constitution. One, yes, you throw him out of office. The second is you can make a decision to bar him from holding public office ever after. Now, isn't that a fair result? I also believe there are criminal provisions that he's exposed himself to, and this tape is a Lulu, so I don't know how he gets around that. And uh, if I were in the Justice Department and the FBI, we'd be uh, inviting people up for conversations about that conversation now, today, while it's fresh, so there's none of this, oh, I don't remember, that could have happened, I don't know. And there also has to be some exploration of the tape and if there were other tapes and other conversations. Because plainly, I think, uh, and I, I'm, this is uh, me guessing, the Secretary of State knew if Trump was insisting on this conversation with others on the phone, that no one in the world would know the truth if he didn't have some way to verify it other than the people saying, yes, this is what happened. I think it's a special circumstance. There, there's also a rule, and I haven't looked at the, uh, the law in Georgia as compared to uh, Washington, D.C., but if both states say you only need one person consent, then there would be no bar to uh, tape recording people without their knowledge, because if I'm making the recording and I know it, <laughs> I'm the one person, that's all you need. Um, also, there are some people who uh, have a question about, can the president pardon himself? Well, uh, A, I don't think he can do it anyhow. But B, let's say he could pardon himself. If he could pardon himself, he cannot pardon himself for impeachment. He cannot pardon himself for censure. So I think that censure, impeachment, 
come on, this is what we pay you guys on the Hill to do. And uh, prosecution afterwards for this offense, that's a good start. And, you know, it, it, it matches up with how he got into office, what he did while he was in office, and after he lost the election as he's being thrown out the door, he's doing it. So that, that, that all just strikes me as right. Um, so <clears throat> let's go to the uh, question of the vote on Wednesday. Now, this is another effort. I don't think this effort to derail the election will succeed, not in the congressional chambers, uh, that is both the House and the Senate sit together in chambers, to have the electors vote uh, counted and reported. There, there's nothing beyond that. The Constitution says there's nothing behind that. The uh, Articles 11 and 12 say there's nothing behind that. The Act, um, the Electors Act that was passed uh, years ago, which has some specific provisions that relate to other things that are going to happen on Wednesday, uh, none of that says anything but the electors are counted and it's reported. And um, Pence himself has said he doesn't and is not entitled to do anything else but to report it. Okay, but here's the problem. And it's not a serious problem, but it is going to be a waste of time. Um, some are going to object, and they're going to object under this act that I mentioned involving electors. And if you should read that act, you just pull it up and look at it, <laughs> uh, I don't know who wrote it. I mean, the tax code and the worst provisions is clearer. And, and by that I mean, if you're not clear, then how do you follow the law? And I'm not sure that the way that law is written entitles the nature of the objections that our Supreme Court uh, graduates, uh, and I'm talking about Hawley and uh, our Texas senator, I, I, it's not clear to me that uh, Cruz and Hawley uh, can find a path to do what they hope to do. But be that as it may, what do they hope to do? They hope to uh, raise objections Hawley's already said he's going to talk about Pennsylvania. And in the end, even if you threw out Pennsylvania, as I've said to some people on my uh, walk and talk, um, so that's 20 votes. <laughs> it's not enough. Um, and there are several states, and none of them are enough. And uh, if Hawley's only going to do one state, then there'd be only one session, and it would be much more symbolic. If they're going to go through several states, get the same results, because the, the, the House is not going to vote for it. The, the Democrats alone would vote against it. But there are Republicans who are going to vote against the objections as well. Same is true in the Senate. I, I see that division as a favorable thing. I know there's, there's a real question about are they trying to protect themselves against the vote in the midterms or when they're next up. Okay, that's a fair question. But I think that uh, there is a diminution of the reach of Trump and that some of these people are looking at this a little more carefully and maybe this is the restoration of some regular order. I don't want to get too excited about it. I know I'm not gullible, but uh, there it is. It's a hope. So the division among the Republican caucus is encouraging. And, I, and like I said, I don't mean it uh, wishing confusion to our enemies. <laughs> See me next week on the next issue. I mean in the sense that a body of the Republican caucus that voted to acquit Trump when he was impeached has decided that the impending seditious and traitorous act of several senators and congressmen is a bridge too far to cross for political purposes. 
and Republicans are speaking out against this notion of objecting to the electors to steal the election for Trump, even as they know and believe the effort to steal the election will fail because Democrats and Republicans will oppose this effort in the end. And Biden will have uh, ridden over what I expect is his last speed bump on the way to the inauguration. Now, this discussion about uh, the impeachment makes me think of those patriots who made it possible to impeach Trump. And I'm talking about the Ukraine fiasco, where he basically coerced the head of state uh, to give him an investigation of Biden's son while he withheld, until he had assurances, he withheld the military material that Ukraine needed to defend itself against an unruly neighbor, Russia and Putin. See the conflicts. So the, you, you may remember, uh, there were a number of them, but I'd like to visit two who spoke out under oath on the Hill. And I don't want to try your patience, but you may share my, uh, my sense that these were among a number of special people. Uh, I'm going to let Fiona Hill speak for herself for a little bit. Ask you, you may be aware um, of some of the attacks on uh, Colonel Vindman, um, suggesting that he has a dual loyalty, that he's not really loyal to America, he's loyal to Ukraine. I want to ask you as a fellow immigrant what you think of those kind of accusations when they're leveled against Colonel Vindman or other Americans. I think it's very unfortunate. I mean, this is a country of immigrants. Um, you know, with the exception, um, you know, perhaps of very few people still here, everyone emigrated to the United States at some point in their family history. And this is what, for me, really does make America great. I mean, I'm sure that every single person here, uh, some people perhaps came reluctantly, um, others came by choice, uh, as I did. Uh, but this is, uh, for me, this is the essence of America. It's why I wanted to be here and why I wanted to stay here. And I think it's unfair to castigate anyone. I do not believe that my loyalty is to the United Kingdom. My loyalty is here to the United States. This is my country and the country that I serve. And I know for a fact that every single one of my colleagues, and there were many naturalized citizens in my office and across the National Security Council, felt exactly the same way. I think it's deeply unfair. Well, I think you might recall in my deposition on October 14th that I said that very unfortunately I had a bit of a blow-up uh, with Ambassador Sunderland, and I had a couple of testy encounters with him. One of those was in June 18, um, when I actually said to him, who put you in charge of Ukraine, and you know, I'll admit I was a bit rude, and that's when he told me the president, which shut me up. And this um, other meeting, um, it was about 15, 20 minutes, exactly as he depicted it was, I was actually, to be honest, angry with him. And, um, um, you know, um, I hate to say it, but often when women show anger, it's not fully appreciated. It's often, you know, pushed onto emotional issues, uh, perhaps, or deflected um, onto um, other people. And what I was angry about was that he wasn't coordinating with us. And I've actually realized, having listened to his deposition, that he was absolutely right. That he wasn't coordinating with us because we weren't doing the same thing that he was doing. Are you a a never-Trumper, or have you been true to your profession and remain nonpartisan? I honestly don't know what the definition of a never-Trumper is, as I, I think many of my colleagues um, are feeling the same way, that it's a puzzling um, term uh, to be applied to 
Korea or non-partisan uh, officials. And I chose to come into the um, administration. I could easily have said no when I was approached. Uh, yes, by but you didn't sign up to have hateful calls and, 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 and the like. I guess, unfortunately, where we are today in America, that's coming with the territory. They're continuing, honestly. I mean, we're constantly having to block um, Twitter um, posts of my name and address and on, on the uh, internet. We've been doing this over the last couple of days. I think that and you as I agree. said in my deposition, this could happen to any single person in this room. You said in your deposition, specifically, um, a conspiracy was launched against you by convicted felon Roger Stone on the show Infowars, led by Alex Jones, right? I don't think he was a convicted felon at the time that he launched this, so I didn't use those exact words. Dr. Hill, I want to um, verify this story. I understand that when you were 11 years old, um, there was a schoolboy who set your pigtails on fire, and you were taking a test. You turned around and with your hands um, snuffed out the fire and then proceeded to finish your test. Is that a true story? It is a true story. I was a bit surprised to see that pop up today. It's one of the stories I occasionally tell because it had some very unfortunate consequences. Afterwards, my mother gave me a bowl haircut. <laughs> so for the, um, the school photograph later in that week, I look like Richard III, or as if I'm going to be in a permanent Well, I think it underscores uh, the fact that you speak um, truth, um, that you are steely, um, and I truly re respect that. Uh, let me now, this is a person of extraordinary talent, really. And her testimony was so pre precise and her discipline to do what she did so right and her declaration of support for America so strong that this is a person who shouldn't have to suffer anymore for this in the sense that she had to leave state as a result of testifying. Secretary of State, uh, who was involved in this, Pompeo, uh, basically removed her from the scene to facilitate Rogue Rudy and others doing what they wanted to do with the Ukraine president. Another person that uh, you may have found exceptional, I did, was Alex Vindman, a man very proud of how he was promoted within the surface, service rather, and, and how he trusted that he would not be compromised for telling the truth. Well, he was. He was marched out the door. But li listen to what he had to say. Another pivotal witness in the impeachment inquiry into President Trump was Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vintman, a highly decorated soldier and expert on Ukraine. Vintman's testimony was said to have enraged the president. It is improper for the president of the United States to demand a foreign government investigate a U.S. citizen and a political opponent. It was also clear that if Ukraine pursued an investigation into the 2016 elections, the Bidens and Burisma, it would be interpreted as a partisan play. On Friday, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman and his twin brother, a lawyer at the National Security Council, were escorted from the White House by officials. Both have been reassigned just hours after the president commented on the lieutenant colonel. Well, I'm not happy with him. You think I'm supposed to be happy with him? I'm not. In the Biden administration, among the plan, we have to act to set straight what these two witnesses and others suffered for telling the truth, for saving the nation from these seditious, traitorous criminals, curs, 
people that don't understand what the oath of office means when they're supposed to preserve and protect the Constitution, when they're supposed to follow the law, when they're supposed to represent we the people, which is how the Constitution is worded. And like I said, Fiona was taken off her State Department assignment. Alex was drummed out of the White House. I don't know. There are probably a hundred different ways to recognize what they did. And I certainly hope we will and not, ha not have somebody talk about some sort of political PC that we have to forget these people and put it behind us and we can't dwell on it. We have to take it out in the open and we have to make people pay the price for what they did wrong. Yes, I'm talking about Trump at the top of the heap, but there's a lot of people below him. A lot of people over these years done a lot of terrible things. And if the law and the Constitution mean anything, they have to pay because it's plain that uh, people are not good enough. They're not angels, and they need to be coerced to do the right thing, and others have to be discouraged. Look at the entire Senate coerced by this baboon in the White House, Trump, who makes them fear because of his Twitter feed and his ditto-head followers that uh, they could lose a primary, and then all the good that they think they would do uh, is washed away. Well, you know, if you're just sitting on a calendar and you're not doing anything, we could do without those Republicans. And that's, that's the problem. We need productive people in the Congress. We need people with legitimate points of difference to discuss and not just power. Anyhow, well, uh, when we have a chance, as we do here, we should take it up and help those who help America, to help America find its way. Thinking about where we are, we have a lot ahead of us to remake our nation as it was intended to be, to perfect the union, to be equal before the law as we promised it would be but have found it really hard to get it just right. Well, it's time to rededicate ourselves to do what's right and big as part of our plan. Our restoration begins on January the 20th, 2021, and I'm sure for all of us, it can't arrive soon enough. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed my discussion. Uh, it's always great to visit with you. Uh, I'll be back a week from today, and if you haven't subscribed, please do. Until I talk to you the next time, take care. Bye-bye.